some wealthier families have knowledge that less privileged families don't have. There was nobody telling me how to apply for college or how to get fast or how to get loans. My parents were both on families of 10. Nobody had went to college. And so there was no knowledge there for them to pass down. I might have fell through some of these things, but now it's really important that I take that back to people who are very much like me. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Aaron Wood, Senior Vice President of Financial Planning and Advanced Solutions at Carson Group. Erin began her career in personal finance after graduating college, where she practiced as a financial planner in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She developed a passion for helping people at a relatively young age, and the fulfillment of seeing a family achieve their financial goals led Erin to eventually own her own financial planning business in her late 20s. Being a local girl at heart, Erin decided to sell her practice and move back to the Omaha area so she could be closer to her family and so she could help people from the community that shaped who she is today. Her work in Omaha continued as a private client advisor for a regional firm where she was quickly asked to create and lead her own financial planning team. The success in this venture, along with her continued passion for helping others, led Erin to her career with Carson Wealth Management. Erin holds a certified financial planner designation, as well as the Chartered Retirement Planning Counselor and Financial Behavior Specialist designations. She received her MS in financial psychology and behavioral finance from Creighton University. Erin's number one passion when not working is traveling with her children and without, learning about new cultures, especially new food. In her private time, Erin enjoys kickboxing and reading books. She also enjoys scuba diving, always looking, well, really planning for her next underwater adventure. Erin has explored the waters of St. Martin, the U.S. and British Virgin Islands, and Kauai. Listen in for some great takeaways about the changes Erin has seen in the financial planning profession and where she is looking to make a huge impact going forward. Well, I have the pleasure today of being with Erin Wood, the Senior Vice President of Financial Planning and Advanced Solutions at Carson Group. Thank you so much for joining us today, Erin. Thank you so much, Larry, for having me. It's always a delight to talk to you. And so this is a real pleasure for me. Yes, I enjoy learning from you and being part of the Carson family together. So I know a lot about you and I want our listeners to know a little bit more. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your path, who Aaron Wood is and what brought you to Carson and how did you get to where you are today? 
My path is probably, sometimes when you talk to people, they have these very clear path in life, how they got to where they are. That was not mine. I don't think there are that many people that have a clear path. <laughs> no, it's all parallel, right? Yes. You just, you take a parallel right turn or a left turn and you kind of get there. I really did fall into financial planning. It was not what I went to college for. It was not anywhere even on my radar as a possibility of a career. And really, I was at a point in my life where I had been asking some questions, some questions that had come to my parents. My parents had the fortunate or unfortunate advice of buy term and invest the difference. And I knew just enough with my finance degree to be like, this doesn't sound right to me. My dad's a smoker. They bought that policy when I was a baby. There's something that doesn't sound right. And so I started asking questions and I met a financial advisor. Her response to me was, you're really asking questions that people who have been in this industry a long time don't ask. Your brain's really meant for this. Like, I think you're meant to be a financial advisor, a financial planner. And I said, thanks, no thanks. I happened to run into them about six months later by happenstance in a Fleming's bar. I was waiting to have dinner and I ran into her and her boss. He said, oh, you're the one she was talking about. Come in and have coffee with me. At that point in my life, I was like, you know what? I'm going to see what they have to say. I have nothing to lose. I was in my early 20s. And so I did. And here I am 20 years later. Everything has been just a progression from one part of a career to the next. I've owned a financial planning firm. I've been the head of financial planning for the largest privately held bank in the country. Uh, and then here now at Carson, where I oversee the five divisions, which are financial planning, Carson Tax, Carson Insurance, Carson Private Trust, and Carson Retirement Plans. And so it's been a great journey, and I think there's much more still to come. Yeah, I agree. And that is quite the path. Personal events bring you to where you are and led you to Carson Group. So I'm grateful for that person recognizing your propensity for the profession and us connecting later on. One of the things I've heard you share before, and, and you kind of alluded to it, prior about your interactions with your parents, you share how your upbringing influenced the money path. I'd love to have you share that story with our listeners on how that affected you and was really a big part of who you are and what you do today. It absolutely does impact me still to this day. I've been very open about the fact my parents were very young when they had me. They were teenagers. Both of them are from families of 10. When you look at that, that's a whole lot of children to be raising. And they were just babies themselves, babies raising babies, and they had no idea what they were doing. But somewhere along the way, my parents had did a few things that really impacted me. The first home I remember is in a trailer park. Over the last couple of years, I've recently told people that my dad is a convicted felon for what is considered a violent crime. However, that happened after I was born, and it happened in a way that is not typical to how most people would imagine. My mother had an atopic pregnancy, and that was before the law was in place that you had to help someone who was an emergency situation, a life or death situation. And so my dad took my mom to the ER for this atopic pregnancy that had ruptured, and the ER was not going to treat her. They were going to throw her out because they didn't have health insurance. So my dad punched the ER doctor, which got him to be a convicted felon. So it's a very strange story of how it even happened. But I spent most of my childhood knowing that we were in a situation where don't draw attention to yourself, be a little quieter. There was always this, every job application my dad had to fill out, he always had to put that he was a convicted felon on it. 
So those were some things that were hard. It really limited his job possibilities and it limited the types of relationships I was allowed to have. You didn't go tell some kid down the street that your dad's a convicted felon because then they wouldn't let you play with each other. Especially without any context of the story, right? Yes. Now, the context of that is important, right? So many people hear that and they're like, if that was my wife, I would have done the same thing. Right. But also the fact that the law changed just a few years after that and that law, if it would have been in place, would have protected them. So those stories really impact me on the importance of health insurance, making sure that you have all of those risk parameters in place, but also how does that impact people's livelihoods? How does it impact the relationships you have with other people? And it really puts financial literacy for me at the forefront because I know how important it is for everyone to have that kind of information. Look, I'm in a great place in my life and I was put there by my parents teaching me some things, even though they had some rough times. My first money memories are all positive. My mom took me to the bank and opened a savings account. I remember them working on a budget and a ledger together. I remember going to church and giving tidings. All of my money memories have been positive, even though there was this shadowing of some really unfortunate things on the outside. Yeah, I think it's amazing how we have a tendency, if you look at people and you look at their upbringing and their history and the family background, we are such representatives of that background and it gets passed along from one generation to the other. And I think that's why it's so important in our profession to help people if they have good habits, reinforce them and double down on them. And if they don't have good habits to try to break them and try to get them to start moving into those better habits, because that alone can have a generational impact, let alone the money that behind it, just having those good habits could really impact things for generations to come. Some wealthier families have knowledge that less privileged families don't have. There was nobody telling me how to apply for college or how to get fast or how to get loans. My parents were both on families of 10. Nobody had went to college. And so there was no knowledge there for them to pass down. I might have fell through some of these things, but now it's really important that I take that back to people who are very much like me. If someone can see someone like myself, well, then they believe it can be true. And so spreading as much of that information around is something that's really important to me. Yeah. Shared experiences are so important. So I got to ask you if we shared an experience because you gave us a little inkling as far as how you got into the profession. You were talking to an advisor and they said, you have what it takes. So I got to ask you, because I think we started somewhat around the same time. Were you smiling and dialing back in the beginning days like I was? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that such a great memory? (laughs) The, The smiling, dialing... For everything that's bad about it, there was also a lot of good. I do believe that ability to pick up that phone and just dial and dial, and nobody knew anything about me. Nobody knew anything about my history. Nobody knew anything about my family. I'm not sure that I would have made it in this industry without smiling and dialing. And I was going to be the best at it. I don't know if you did the same thing, but I used to write on papers like every time I called someone and like, did you get a voicemail? Did you leave a message? And I would fill that thing front side and backside. I would have so many times I called. I think I just wore people down. <laughs> Listen, I enjoyed it as much as you could enjoy it. I took it for what it's worth. And I made it like a competition, like you're saying, right? I knew if I was getting close to the end of the day, but I knew that statistically I had to make three more phone calls to get somebody to stay on the phone and talk to me. I stuck it out for those three more because I wanted to see if I could keep those numbers going for the rest of the 
the day. So I had a good friend of mine. I remember to this day, he used to stay on the phone with people like the longest I've ever seen. And he would blow through all the objections. He didn't care. He'd do it like quickly. And I, I'd be like, why are you doing this? He goes, because I know if I get them to like number 10 or number 11, he goes, I'm in. And he's like, because there's no reason somebody's staying on the phone with me that long if they don't have a little bit of interest. So there's something to be said. And I think if you took away the good stuff from it, it was definitely beneficial. And I think it lowers fear too. You know, if you have a fear of talking to people, you don't after smile and dials days. <laughs> you can true. talk to anyone. Absolutely. So you like me, you've seen the profession change in your eyes and in your view. How have you seen the profession evolve over the time since you entered it till now? It's crazy how different it is. I came in right at the point that you still had at fund brokerage. And so people still got their statements directly from all their investment companies to starting to have all your brokerage at one location, the start of advisory business. And instead of paying commissions, paying advisory fees. So I came in right at that time, which worked really well for me in the sense that I was always financial planning focused first, but I also didn't grow up with money. And so this idea that I could live poor for a while I really gravitated to that advisory business from the very beginning. It was like, this makes much more sense. And for a lot of the people I was trying to help, it made a lot more sense to them as well that they could be tied to their gains with me. And then now all the way through to where we are today with the advice driven, everything being digital, this ability for us to do this across the country. When I owned my practice, Zoom didn't exist. Everything was face-to-face back then. And we built the, I call them the Bible, the 150-page financial plan that we treated like gospel because it was the most important book you ever created. And I taught my clients so well. I taught it to bring them back every six months to our meeting. And I used to put paper clips in the binder so that I could quickly find the pages I wanted to talk to them about. And in the 10 years I owned my financial planning firm, I had a really hard lesson, which I think is one that the industry is moving now. In the 10 years of that practice, every time they would come back with that financial binder and I would change some things out and I I would add some new things. But the only thing they ever did was the to-do list. They would go in and check things off on the to-do list. Nobody ever removed the paper clips, not once in 10 years, which was a good lesson to me. And it's where I hold a lot of what we do now at Carson is the client wants to know that you as the advisor know what's in that binder. What they care about is their to-do list and that you're keeping them on track and that you're paying attention to the progression. But all of the details are really important for us to know as the advisors and behaviorally, then how do we help the client stick to that so they can actually get there? And that's where I see the industry going more now is this on-demand planning, being able to get proactive advice in the moment you need it, whether it's on a 30-year retirement plan or on a decision you need to make today about do you buy a car, lease a car, get a used car, like that is now where I see our industry going. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. I like you. I've seen it come a long way from where I started to today. And I'm really excited for where I think and we'll see things going. One of the things you mentioned was the fact that you had your own planning practice, right? You help people with planning first. That was really the impetus of it. What ultimately led you to selling that practice and exiting that side of the business and moving on from there? It's a very short story, but is one that actually changed quite a few things and a few areas that I see things now. I lived in a community property state at the time and I got divorced. And as I said, that was pre-Zoom. What I really had a decision on is in a community property state, 
the valuation of my company was half his. I had a decision to make because I did not live in that state. So it was in Wisconsin. I'm originally from here, our corporate headquarters in Omaha, Nebraska. I grew up just on the Iowa side. So I had that decision to make. Either I could stay in Wisconsin and we had no kids because we had some unfortunate surgeries that had happened before that, but we had no kids And I was looking at a practice that I loved, but I really had no other reason to stay in Wisconsin. And so I either had to make the decision that I was going to pay him out for many years and stay in Wisconsin and all my family be here, or I could sell that practice all at once, cut my ties from Wisconsin, and then move back here to where my family is. And what happened was, I guess, a little bit of kismet, because when word got out that I was thinking about coming back to Iowa, I started getting unsolicited offers from my business. There were a lot of people that knew how I ran my company. I was on a quarterly schedule with all my clients of what I met with them on, how I talked to them. They were all financial planning clients. So I had got an offer to come back here and run a financial planning division. And it all just happened at once. I was getting offers for jobs and I was getting offers for my practice. So we did, or I did, I decided to sell that practice and then came back here and went to, instead of the advisory side, more to the leadership side of building planning groups and leading technology. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think many times people don't realize, especially as a business owner, owning a business, how going through a separation or divorce can impact that and the impacts of the state that you're in. And I think to the common theme of what we've been talking about, your the family and the background and the history has kind of formed and is a part of you today because now you're planning and advising and helping other advisors advise on these topics so that other people who are in a similar situation like yourself can plan appropriately for those potential, what I call critical financial events. And you know, that idea that as an advisor, you can help so many people, right? So now I help advisors who help more people. So it's that idea of how can you spread information? Well, for me, I get to work through all of you as advisors. And so I can contact and speak to a lot more people than I could as an individual advisor myself. Huge impact for sure. So I got to ask, what attracted you to Carson? I've heard the story start somewhere with Paul West and Paul West and Carson sometimes are always synonymous, I think. I heard he was very persistent. As you answer, I'd also love to hear what your role is now so our listeners understand that. So if you could kind of give us a little background, how you ended up there and what are you doing on a day-to-day basis? You kind of alluded to some of it just a moment ago as far as working with the advisors. What does that entail? I always tell everyone Paul West affectionately stalked me for six months. He was definitely not giving up. At the time, I was running the financial planning division for the privately held bank that I had said. And so I worked with their wealth clients, their largest clients they had in their trust company. And I wasn't unhappy at the bank. But if you've ever been at a bank or an insurance company, it's kind of like being at a dinosaur or moving the Titanic. They're not very technology forward. They're not very innovative. So Paul had reached out to me about coming to run financial planning for Carson Wealth. And the first time I said, thanks, no thanks, he just kind of let it go. And then he came back again. And I said again, thanks, no thanks. And then the third time he came back, he's like, look, I got your name from someone I very highly respect. We're not letting this go until you at least have coffee with me and hear what Carson is doing. And part of me was like, I just need this guy to go away. The other part of me was, 
he said that he thinks that we're really closely aligned with where I see the industry going and where Carson does. At that point, I was just intrigued. Does someone else see the industry the same way that I do? So I decided to have coffee with Paul. He will tell you to this day, I am still the like longest person I think that it took them to join Carson because he says that I came in and I mean mugged him. It sounds like he was from the smiling and dialing days also, perhaps by the persistency. I don't know. Just a guess, maybe. He always tells everyone that at our first coffee, I mean mugged him the whole time with my arms crossed. But I left that going, oh, wait, there is something unique here and there's something different here. So as I continue to talk to them about how I see financial planning and I see that it really is, it's all about advice and it's all about helping people in those moments that we're in. And financial planning had become very compliance driven. People were printing out those 140 page financial planning books because somebody in compliance said, well, if you're going to talk about XYZ, then you need to go print these 40 pages out of the financial planning software. That's not advice. If we're giving the same 40 pages to everyone, then we're giving the same advice to everyone and we're not giving personalized advice to any of our clients. And so that idea that I really thought we could use technology to get the right information to the advisors at the right time was something I really gravitated to. And that was really what I came to Carson to build. At that time, Carson was working on their first iteration of the client experience. To this day, I still kind of laugh because I put my foot in my mouth. Aaron Shaben, one of our presidents, was showing me the client experience at that time. And I came in, I was like, oh, I would change this and I'd reword this this way and I would put this in this order because here's really how people think about financial advice and how a client would answer this. And he was phenomenal and so kind. He was taking notes and he's like, these are really good ideas. And never once did he tell me it was already live (laughs) and that they had already launched it. It must have been a good ideas I had because hence I'm still here. But that is really what I've come to do. And so I came in, I started with Carson Wealth working with the financial planning team there. And then about a year later, they asked me to move to the Carson Group side to build out financial planning for our whole network of advisors. And then shortly after that, I started accumulating the four other departments because they're all advice driven. No advisor, no client should ever have to call an 800 number and talk to someone on the advanced planning team. And the advanced planning team says, you know what, that's a really good idea. I think your client needs an islet. And the advisor says, great. How do I get an islet? And they go, I don't know, call the insurance division. I don't work over there. And so you hang up and you pick up the phone and now you call insurance and they help you get this great proposal. And you're like, okay, great. How do I get in the trust? I go, I don't know, call the trust department. And now you're bouncing around. So I really had this idea that why don't we put all of the advice umbrella together? And most of the people on my team cross function between more than one department. And so I have individuals who file taxes during tax season. And then when tax season's over, They're in planning, helping build financial plans, helping coming up with strategies. It's been a really good change. Most of my time now is spent looking at technology and how do we build it and integrate it and scale the advisor? How do we make it more on demand for the client, but still driving through those five divisions to really be client centric, easy for our advisors to work with and make sure our clients are getting the best possible advice without having to run around to multiple places to get it. Yeah, it's great stuff. And the families that we serve obviously have seen the impact of this because we've utilized the teams that you have set up to help us navigate some complex issues for them. And those families that are listening that are not working with us, certainly that's something that we bring to the table and we're very proud of. And we bring up in our value proposition when we're talking with new families, I think having your team and the teams that are available under the Carson umbrella are hugely beneficial 
beneficial to a lot of our successes of getting people progress and moving towards those goals that they're looking to accomplish. It's it's hugely beneficial. And your office is a great example. You are a really good advisor, but you can't know everything about everything, right? Like it's impossible. And so having that resource behind you, my joke is if I can keep our advisors out of our good friend Google, then I'm doing my job. And now you have to add chat GPT in yes. there too, right? <laughs> Although well, that's to be seen if it's going to be more accurate or not. Yeah. That's that idea is I can put people on my team who specialize in really niche areas. And so then you can spend the time with the clients building those relationships and know that you have really good advice that's helping you and your clients every step of the way. And your team has been phenomenal at bringing in the right people at the right time. Yeah, thank you for that. So let's shift for a second. One of the things that I heard recently was that you went through a behavioral finance program. What was the motivation there? And where do you think and how do you think this behavioral finance is affecting the profession? It is, I think, going to continue impacting all of us. So I got into this program when my daughter was a newborn. I had seen Brad Klontz and Ted Klontz speak at a conference I was Brad's at. been on our show. Yeah, we, I don't remember the episode number, but he was on the show. Yeah. He's very smart and intelligent, and so his dad. And they were talking about many of these areas that we stumble with or that we're missing something. It's not as easy as saying, oh, just go save 10%. If someone has a background like mine, there's a, a whole bunch of other family inherited traits that are always in the back of our mind. And so I was really intrigued on it by how to help people. But what I've told everyone is I did go through the program at Creighton. It was a tremendous program. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Since I did that program, there's now a lot of other ones coming up. And so the Financial Therapy Association has a program. The CFP board just rolled out their behavioral finance. So I don't think it's going away. I think it is becoming mainstream. And I think it needs to. I always told everyone by going through that program, I learned more about myself than I probably did anyone else. It uncovered for me a few things that it's why I, I can speak openly today. Carson and that program allowed me, one, to know that my history is not shameful. There's a whole lot of people out there who need help from someone who can relate to them. But Carson is a place that allows you to be human. I'm not sure that I ever had that before I came to Carson. I didn't tell people for the first, I think, 18 years I was in this career that my dad was a convicted felon. I had never said a word to anyone. So it's only been the last couple years that really Carson, that behavioral finance program, really gave me the confidence to know that there's a lot of people out there who need help. And finding people who can understand you and relate to you on whatever your past or history is, is important. And so those are the things I think are going to continue coming. Do you lease? Do you buy? Do you avalanche? Do you snowball? Those are all things we can figure out on a calculator. We might need to know the right calculator, but understand behaviorally that someone is more motivated by paying off the lowest balance first versus paying off the highest interest rate, that makes us better advisors. And so I continue to push that down through the Carson network, but I do think more and more advisors are going to go down this path of behavioral training to make sure they're really doing the best they can. I don't believe it is. And if it is, I apologize. But do you foresee it ever being part of the CFP curriculum to get your CFP? Because I don't think it is now. Is that right? It is coming. That is one thing that is changing. They just rolled out last year, their program, and that is going to be getting incorporated into the upcoming classes and testing, which 
it is great because if you have some knowledge and some behavioral finance in there, that is a winning combination. Yeah, I agree. And I think it should be a part of it. So thank you for sharing that. And it's something that I'm interested in consistently. I find it fascinating, the whole behavioral finance component of things. Recently, I read your powerful story of IVF. And I've seen it in many places from Kiplinger to Mitland's website. And this may dovetail into what you just said earlier about Carson and kind of giving you the space to have these conversations. But what prompted you to share your deeply personal journey with regard to that? So I said earlier, I went through a divorce. And that divorce was obviously like all divorces on many reasons that that was happening But what really was the catalyst that pushed me over the edge, we were never planning on having children, or I should say I was never planning on having children. And I had become pregnant, much to my surprise, and was many weeks uh, already into this journey. They already thought I was through my first trimester. And when I went into my doctor's office, the ultrasound person happened to be out. And honestly, I went to the doctor's office thinking they were going to tell me I wasn't pregnant. Like I absolutely believed it in my head. And she was like, oh no, like you are very far pregnant. And you're like, from all of the blood tests and everything, it looks like you're pretty much through your first trimester. I was coming back here to where my family was. It happened to be my mom's birthday. So I said, no problem. I'll come back next week, get the ultrasound done. And I had been in some pain, quite a bit of pain. I just thought it was natural. I'd never been pregnant before. I didn't think it was anything to be concerned about. I came back to ultrasound that next week and they told me that it was an atopic pregnancy and that they couldn't believe I had not already ruptured. And I went from ultrasound to surgery right then and there. And that is, although not an uncommon story, I know that many people have this story. It's not one that's talked about very often. The next thing that happened to me about six months later, I was having a tremendous amount of pain again. I went to my other doctor, not thinking it had anything to do with this atopic surgery that I had, and I had been internally bleeding for the past six months, and the mass that had accumulated was larger than the atopic had been. So at that point, they had to go in and remove all of the parts on that half of my body, and a few months after that, they did a final procedure, and during this procedure, they were also going to test if there was ever a chance that I could get pregnant again. To this day, it's probably the moment in my life that is the clearest, I think will always be the clearest, because it was a very awkward situation to be in anyway, and they're checking all these things and doing diet tests, and you're in this cold room, and a a lot of people looking at you and checking stuff. My doctor comes over at the end, and she gets really close to me and says, we have some good news, and we have some bad news. And she said, the good news is, is that the parts that you have left appear to be working. We don't think that you would ever be able to carry a child to term with many of the things that have happened. You would probably be on bed rest. You probably have to have your cervix sewed shut. But there is a 10% chance that you can get pregnant. And I remember to this day feeling like I was drowning, like I felt like waves were coming on top of me and that I couldn't breathe. Ultimately, I knew that that was what was going to lead me to divorce. And I did file for divorce the next week, that even if there was a 10% chance, I knew that I did not want to have a child in that relationship. Fast forward a few years later, and I meet my now husband, and all of a sudden things changed. I decided, you know what, I do want to be a mom. I 
was coming into a situation with a four-year-old who is now a junior in high school and I adore to this day. And I very much wanted to have a family of our own. And so we started down the journey of what was this going to look like. It's a very expensive journey. You start looking at the cost of infertility. You start looking at the cost of freezing eggs. You start looking at the cost of donor eggs. For me, uh, we were looking at the cost of possible surrogates. And we had mapped out a lot of this cost of what this was going to be like. I am so fortunate and so lucky. The ironic part of all of this was we had planned this out before we actually got married. We had it all mapped out of how far we were willing to go, what we were going to go through. And we did end up getting pregnant on our own. So that 10% chance ended up coming to fruition. And I have a nine-year-old daughter, as you know. So she is the one and only. It was definitely a difficult pregnancy, one that my husband would not sponsor again. But it came full circle. And I feel so much for these women who I've worked with over the years who, again, they're willing to tell me their story because I've told them mine. But I've been able to help a lot of women navigate this unforeseen and very expensive cost to something that for a lot of people seems so natural and easy. Well, thank you for sharing, because obviously you sharing your story, those shared experiences are so important to us as people, because if you're going through that situation yourself, you kind of feel it's not just this situation, any kind of situation, you feel kind of alone, like you're the only one that's gone through it. And if you know somebody who has, because they've spoken about it, it just just makes it a little bit easier. And then you have somebody to have that conversation with. So thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable about that, because I'm sure it's helped many that you know, and probably far more many that you don't know and will continue to impact them. So great stuff. So because you've been involved in this profession for a while. You've seen it from the modular type planning, from having individual accounts at every mutual fund like I have to where we are today. What are you most excited about from this profession in the foreseeable future? I think what I'm most excited about is how the individuals coming out of universities are really going to change how we look at the future. It used to be we came in like you and I with no experience and we smiled and we dialed and we did all those things. Now we have a whole generation of students coming out of undergrad programs with their basic education around the CFP already in place. Now, they still have a lot to learn. There's still a lot of gaps to fill in, but they are coming in light years ahead of where we were. I don't know about you. I didn't get my CFP until I'd been a financial advisor for six years. I still look at, were there things I could have done better in those first six years? They're coming in with that knowledge right away. And so we've built our next-gen program here at Carson. It's a two-year residency program for those individuals coming out of university programs. And they have a couple things. One, they have that knowledge and education, but they also have a technical skill that we have never seen before. I think my time that I spend on tech, I've learned a lot of it just by having to go through. They come out and they're so far ahead on how to streamline our systems and make them better. And this Zoom webinars, whatever it might be, like this is second nature to them, where for a lot of us, it it was a struggle for us to learn how to do a conversation on Zoom. They're very natural at that. They're very natural at being able to talk in very short text. I think if it was me having to chat with a client online, it would be really difficult. I can't talk in Twitter 120 characters or whatever. They can. 
For some things, it might not be the best thing, but where it offsets our advisors, I think it's going to be a huge win. They're going to bring us into this next generation of individuals coming up, and we're looking at it right now. We're coming up on the biggest wealth transfer of all time. Having these young individuals coming into our career, coming in with interest from the beginning, not this, oh, can you do sales? And if you can make it, then maybe you'll, you'll be able to stick around. They're coming in from a place of, I want to help people and put me in whatever position I can help them. And being able to use technology to scale you, to partner them with seasoned advisors, it's a great opportunity. And it's probably the area I've been the most excited about is how do we use our technology to scale all of our advisors? And then how do we bring these young individuals up to really lock it all together in a way that makes the succession of your practice and all of our advisors ones that is much more palatable to the clients. I'm pretty excited about that program too, because I think for the first time, if the profession's not going to do it, at least Carson has done it, which is created a definitive pathway for somebody to come in and enter the profession and actually see a viable progression to move up in their career. Because I think one thing this profession's lacking is and a lot of it's from its disjointedness, just not having this clear defined path. If you're a doctor or you want to be a CPA or you want to be an attorney, there's pretty much a delineated path on how to go from high school to education, college, wherever that may be, and being a partner of one of those practices or a partner in a medical practice, same thing. And in our profession, there hasn't been, and I give Carson a lot of credit for starting to at least develop that kind of progression where somebody could actually see how they enter and where they will end up and what that time frame looks like as long as they put in the hard work and, and effort that is needed to get there, right? The other part of that, you brought up the medical field, and I always think this is a great example. The medical field has been really good at doing that careers, but they've also already come into things like telehealth, right? You don't have to go into your doctor. You can do something quick. That on-demand planning, we're just starting to see that right now. And that's a great example where I think tech is going to allow us to scale in a different way. What a great point it will be when a client's in the car dealership and says, you know what? should I really be doing this? I'm just going to send a message in to Midland and find out like, is this the right thing to do? And someone in your office to be able to answer that, like that on-demand planning, it's so close right now. When it happens, it's probably going to be my happiest day ever. Because if we can help clients in the moment they're in, I've always believed that if you can help them in that moment and you can do that over and over again, you'll always get a client to where they need to be. But when you're only focusing on 30 years in the future, that's really hard. None of us can imagine ourselves 30 years in the future. But if we can get to this on-demand, helping people in the moments they need them the most, help them make those right decisions over and over, I know that we'll win every single time. Agreed. I'm excited. I'm reinvigorated. I'm ready to go. So listen, Aaron, it's been a pleasure having you on. And we ask each of our guests the same final question, because this is the Midland Money Mindset. We are all about joy. And that is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? So there's a few things I do pretty much every day that do bring me joy. I meditate almost every single day. And I can tell when I get off of my patterns of doing that because I'm not as invigorated and I'm not as focused. I get the best ideas when I'm in those moments. But the second thing that I would say today is that I've been spending some time looking at 
that next gen program and the individuals that we have in it and starting to help map out like which advisors are they going to work with next? What project are they going to work with next? And every time I get to help them on developing that career path, I find so much joy in that. I didn't do this today, but I do want to, I always try to shout them out. I work with Rock the Street, Wall Street. So Carson is a sponsor of them. It is a financial literacy program where we go into the high schools and work with high school girls on improving their financial literacy. We've been doing this at one high school over the last year, two classes every single week. They've had a 71% increase in their financial literacy, which is amazing. And 25% of those girls are now considering to take a career in finance. So giving back in those ways is where I find my absolute joy. And it brings me the most happiness every week. It's bringing me joy just hearing about it. That's amazing stuff. So thank you for sharing that. Now, listen, we're going to have all of your information in the show notes. But if people want to learn more about you, learn more about your role at Carson, what's the easiest and best place for them to find that out? The two places that are best are LinkedIn and Twitter are the two places that most people can find me. I am Aaron Wood on LinkedIn, so easy to find. And then on Twitter, I'm Aaron Wood 402. So again, easy to find. And Larry, before I hang up, I told you, I saw this on my desk the other day. Yeah. I was very excited. Thank you for sending me your book. I can't wait to dig into it. There has not been enough financial planning books out on the industry. So thank you for continuing to bring that knowledge out to the masses. We absolutely need it. I appreciate that, Erin. And thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to share your knowledge with our listeners and spend a few minutes with us. I really appreciate it and make it a great day. Thanks for having me, Larry. I want to thank Erin Wood for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Aaron's story is one of perseverance combined with a strong desire to help people. Her knowledge and compassion for people comes through in everything that she does, and she certainly has had an impact on my life. Aaron is one of the smartest people I know, and I am honored to play for the same team that she does. With her help, the profession will continue to raise the bar, and the impact will be significant. Aaron Wood and Carson Group can be found across most social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content, and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.